You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Now that heart is beating fast, and that's the rhythm I can dance to. I'm mighty glad I've got a chance to, that one big heart that's beating fast. Tomorrow morning, let it rain. Tomorrow morning, let it pour. Tonight we're in the groove together. Ain't gonna worry about stormy weather. Gonna kick old trouble out the door. Beat out old trouble and drunk. Welcome to Radical Australia Community Radio 3CR, the world's greatest producer and her sidekick, Kelly and Kerry Whitworth, are here in the studio. Look, self-praise is no praise, Kelly, all right? I didn't say anything. You're the one that's saying stuff. You're the one who does the drum beat. That wasn't me. That was a little mousy in the studio. Well, I'll... That means we're going to be reported for animal cruelty. Oh, I wouldn't cool. put a mouse in this studio. Maybe human beings. But have you oh. seen the state of the bloody studio? Uh, yeah, it's yeah, pretty yeah, pathetic. Little mousey likes it. it. Yeah, he does. Mm. Yeah, or she could be a she. Could yeah. be a she. Are you a mouse sexer? Can you know? Can you tell this from male and female? No, no, can, you can't. You, can you do no, that? no, I can't unless you go closer. But I, mm. I, it's not my thing. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, poor old Jacob is. <laughs> what's he? Now, Jacob, you know what happens. We never pronounce the person's name unless they're Gibson or John or Jack. So, Jacob, surname. Oh, my uh, my name yeah, is... Ja- yours. Yeah, yeah my mine. surname is Jacob Andrew. So, my surname Andrew. is Andrewaffer. Yeah. Andrewaffer. Yeah. It's a Cornish name, actually. Um, oh. part, um, part of the many... Yeah, there was a group of a kind of um, Cornish families that yeah. actually immigrated to, I think, Australia around 1900, so the start of the... Yeah, around the start of the 20th century. Um, and, yeah, that's basically... The, I think there was at least 50 sort of families yeah. um, with the name Andrewafa. And I, I guess my heritage is one of those 50. <laughs> Cornish. Cornish. Oh, sounds German. Yeah, but it's actually it's actually technic- it's a Cornish name. Yeah, and wow. my... Um, my yeah, well, pretty sure my well, ancestry well. go on one side of the family goes back... Uh, to to Cornwall. <laughs> uh, uh, do people in Cornwall have their own language, like the Welsh? I th- as far as I know, I'm no expert on. Cor- I don't really know that much about my Cornish sort of heritage. No, I was uh, just wondering because of, because of the name. You but know? they, but I'm pretty sure they do have a pretty. Dis- there is a distinct sort of language and mm. dialect. Um, mm. and I remember, but yeah, that's all as far as I sort of know about my yeah. heritage on that score. Yeah, it seems. Well, seems, one half of it yeah, at least it seems to be uh, Welsh related. What's the other half? Well, my mother was born in Singapore, mm-hmm. um, so I'm of a, I'm of a, and of a Chinese sort of background. So, and I guess yeah, a lot of my family, uh, you know, have fam- relatives in both Malaysia and um, and Singapore. So yeah, I would be of a 
of a kind of yeah of a, of a Chinese and sort of Cornish sort of background from there. <laughs> well, that, that's a very good combination. So, what year were you born? I was born in 1991. What are you doing here? You can't fill an hour of your life if you're born in 1991. I mean, that's, you've only been on the planet what for 30 years? Yeah, for around 31 at least. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, well, how did you find this bloke, Kelly? He's only 30 years old. Have you he's packed done more? a lot. Oh, that's he's what I'm saying. That's life. what. Yeah, that's what we're here to find out. I bet he's jam packed. I bet he's jam packed more in his life than I have in 70 years. All right, smile. It's all right. We don't bite. Sometimes we don't bite nice people because I understand you're a three CR regular. Yeah, for, um, I do the Green Left Radio program every um, Friday morning from uh-huh. seven AM to eight thirty AM. Just to give a bit of advertising there, if any of listeners want to tune in and hear me present, it's um, just at seven AM this uh, Friday. Cross promotion. He thinks as he's on the Royal Australian Broadcasting Corporation. We don't cross promote on the ad- Radical Australian. Yes, we do I, all the time. At the end. At the end, not the beginning. you did ask him. Yeah, but I didn't expect him to cross-promote. I expected Jacob would be very polite. Well, he's supposed to say, I'll tell you later. No, no, he was supposed to say, well, you know, you shouldn't... The thing is, you've got to make it flow, Jacob. And Mm. then they don't realise they've been manipulated, the listeners, (laughs) all right? Now they know they've been manipulated. Now, forget about what you've heard, listeners. Jacob... (laughs) does do the program on Friday morning. He does do the uh, Green Left. I was going to say Greek Left. That's the, that's the other program. Green Left program. Now, were you born in this country? Yeah, I was born in um, – it says on my birth certificate that I was born in Clayton, actually. Clayton. So Clayton in, in Melbourne. Yeah. So the, the Monash Medical Centre. Yep. Ah, oh. Did you ever go to university at Clayton? Uh, I apart from visiting there to do like campaigning stores yeah, yeah. or going to the child care when yeah. um, my mother went to um, Monash. Yep, I've never studied it at uh, Monash University. Oh, yeah. I reckon I reckon you should have a claim to study at Monash University because you know if you're a footballer and your your son or daughter you know is a footballer, you get automatic entry into the big league. You should be getting automatic entry into Monash University. As far as I'm concerned, if you're born in Clayton. Yeah, that's uh, that's true, but it never it never popped up as a university that I would option. apply for. Yeah, an option. <laughs> right. So, what what was life like for a, a young lad in Clayton, growing up in Clayton? I mean, I don't really have many memories of Clayton, really, because I've you know I only lived there for like probably two to three years of my life, really. Um, what, what, your your family was evicted or something? From no, Canada? yeah, well, my family had kind of moved around quite a lot, so... Right. Any particular reason? Well, we're, it's actually, I mean, if you're going to make this political, it's pretty much... No, you know, no, we life, can make it both. The both. life of... Um, it's, the, it's very much the life of being kind of like a working-class family... Right. ...who has to rent. So, right. yeah, my family had to kind of move around quite a lot, so, right. you know, right. we moved from... You know, we started living in Clayton, then mm-hmm. we moved to Glen Waverley, yep. uh, then we moved to Roval, mm-hmm. and then we moved to Lilydale. I think Lilydale actually came before Roval, but I, right. I don't remember the yep. order. Yep. Uh, and then we lived in Burwood for the better part of the last few mm. years of my primary sort of age life, um, which was, mm. I think, 9 to 13. And then that's when we, we moved to the country kind of afterwards. From, uh, after you were 13. Yeah, after yeah. I was 13. Well, it's interesting that you're, a, you're a basically an eastern suburbs boy. Yeah. You know, south of the Yarra. Yeah, basically. There's uh, not many people at 3CO came from south of the Yarra, working class or not working class. Yeah, yeah. But, of course, truth be told, when I live in Melbourne today, um, I don't really have much to do with the southeast other than 
when I'm visiting other when maybe when I'm visiting my grandparents who right. live in Roval. Right. Yep. And yeah, it's sort of like Melbourne life, especially when you're an activist, it tends to be revolve around the inner north, the inner west, yeah. and the city. That's a mistake. You realise that. Yeah. My- and I currently live in the inner north right now. So yeah. Oh, my God. Another one of them. You said your grandparents are still alive. What side of the family? Uh, my mum's side of the family. Yeah. And uh, did they... Was your mum born here or did she... My mum was born in Singapore. So a- Singapore. So they came, the whole family came across, did they, when she was younger? Or? Well, it was more... Um, well, the, there was only it was only just my mum and mm-hmm. her and her parents. So they moved to um, they moved to Australia when she was around, I think, five. Right. Um, and it was basically, you know, it's a, it was a kind of classic sort of migrant sort of experience, like in a sense that um, my grandfather got a job offer mm-hmm. in in Australia, right. and then there was a genuine kind of ambition that you know Australia was the kind of place to kind of be. Yep. Uh, you know, this is the place to build a life, um, and so that was sort of around. I guess imagine it would have been it would have been around the nineteen seventies that that mm-hmm. happened. Mm-hmm. Um, that yeah, that my my um, that my mum yeah moved moved to, to Australia. <laughs> right? Do, do they speak Mandarin Cantonese still? Or? Um, well, that's a, a that does that bring, that's another sort of interesting kind of uh, thing I can also comment. That's also quite political. Um, back in the time when my my parents, uh, my grandparents, and my mum migrated, you know, Australia was ra- was quite racist. Um, it was not, yeah, it wasn't as accepting of um, you know Chinese people as they are now. I mean, that's that's like an exaggeration. Obviously, obviously, things are still racist today, but. Back then, it was particularly, you know, there was actually a lot of pressure on my grandparents to actually just forget their their language. Um, the language they would have spoken would have been Cantonese. Um, and, yeah, basically, my mum recounted a story to me once where when they, when she moved to um, Australia, her, grand, uh, her mother, um, i.e. my grandmother, told her to basically forget all the Chinese that she knew and just she would only speak English. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that was sort of like the example of That's the kind right. of... Yep. But then, interestingly enough, for my grandparents, um, later on in life, I think possibly around the 80s to the 90s, um, you know, they actually started to try and relearn um, Chinese again. Um, they don't speak it that very well, unfortunately. Um, but, yeah, there was a kind of period for my grandparents where they actually did try to, you know, relearn their language, etc. And there was a kind of like an important sort of part about, you know, it was sort of like a part of, about reclaiming their sort of culture, so to speak. Right. It's fascinating. <clears throat> what happens when a young Singapore girl living in Australia meets a Cornish man who uh, sweeps her off her feet? What do the parents say? Uh, I mean... Back back then, I mean, okay, so my my dad's not necessarily would have not would have not necessarily identified as a Cornish. He he's just very much Australian. Australian um, yep. That's um, yep. where where they, they would place. I mean, I, I mean, in reality, there wasn't really there wasn't really any. They didn't really have any issue with the fact right. uh, of the kind of ethnicity of the mm-hmm. of the pa- different parties involved. There was generally no sort of problem with that. Uh, generally, though, though, that there was um, complications for. Their marriage, um, in terms of the support they got from their family, because 
they married quite young, um, so they married at, at the age of 18. And so the sort of dominant concern for my grandparents on my mum's side, or actually both sides of the family, was generally that of finances. Mm-hmm. I, or why are you marrying the first person that you're meeting, that uh, you have your whole life ahead of you, um, you know, yeah, look, I want so, to leave home. Basically, that's yeah, the yeah, reason. Yeah. So that was that was that was more the backlash. It yeah. wasn't there wasn't a racist no, sort of no, backlash. No. To I, that. I was looking for a racist backlash. I was just wondering because in those days that was would have been considered to be an, an unusual um, partnership mm. between your mum and and an Australian bloke. So yeah. obviously it's one that takes a yeah. bit of courage. So it takes no. courage. It takes courage. Mm. It took courage then. People think it's quite easy today, but in those days there were a lot of consequences. A lot of Mm. People paid paid for uh, not you know following the the rules yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah. Except um, possibly one thing to though is they did get married at nineteen in nineteen ninety, um, mm. and they actually had me in nineteen oh one. So yeah, basically no, um, no, we don't want to go down that path, <laughs> Jacob. We don't want to know whether you were born in or out of wedlock. I mean, that's a personal matter. I don't. Oh want no, to no, say. that's not what I was going into necessarily. <laughs> I was going into more the fact that yeah, yeah, the, um, they yeah. had me ru- quite young, and, and um, yeah. yeah, as soon as they got married, did, did they learn their lesson, or did they you have they have more kids? Well, that's the funniest thing about that question. <laughs> uh, you're probably not going to be a bit surprised by the response. So I'm actually the oldest of 11. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, they actually had 10 more since then. Um, right. Yeah, <laughs> uh, They're not practising Christians. Ah, uh, yeah, they would be. They um, would so be. yeah, I come from quite a religious sort of family. Right. Um, yeah, I'm not religious myself these days, but yeah, my family is generally what? yeah they um, generally quite uh, uh, Catholic or it's sort of probably like non-denominational kind right. of Christianity. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they generally you know they follow the Bible, they read Jesus, but they sort of right. they sort of follow have their own sort of interpretation that's a bit distinct from the everyday sort of organised sort of denominations. It's fascinating. So it's a very Australian-Chinese tradition of actually having um, Bible classes and having your own interpretation. I know a number of Chinese people who consider to be themselves to be non-denominational Christians, mm. and uh, there's a lot of these little offspring, little churches all over the place in Melbourne and Victoria and Australia, you know, going down different pathways. It's fascinating. I remember I... Um, I stumbled into a patient's house one day and I said, what are all these blokes doing? And he said, oh, we're in the middle of Bible class. He was a Chinese gentleman and a very, very, very devout Christian. So that's difficult being the oldest of 11 kids. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, did, I don't think it's that difficult necessarily. I mean, you just see a lot of um, children growing up. <laughs> so did you have to top and tail in bed? There were so many of you. I mean, we all we all generally sort of had. I mean, we didn't have nest. There wasn't room for us to have separate That's bedrooms. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, we generally we had like bunk beds and things growing right, up. Right. Um, some of us later, I think, as we grew older, some of us ended up getting separate. We sort of got separate bedrooms. It depended on the size of the house that we had got gotten right. at the time because right. Um, right. I think we went through, you know, over the course of when we moved, sometimes we'd have a smaller house, then we'd get a bigger house. Probably the biggest house we had was when we were mm. living in the country in Trentham and then we got another – and then, yeah, and then they moved to Ocean Grove, which was sort of the last you sort of house. You lived in Trentham. Yeah, before it was yappified. Yeah, yeah. I actually uh. <laughs> went. I actually went there recently with my um, with my partner actually to yeah. sort of. And yeah, it has been very yappified yeah. uh, since then. Um, 
especially since I think, um, you know, the, it's sort of the neighbouring town, Dallasford, is sort of known as like the, yeah. the very, sort of like known as the LGBTI sort of capital of um, rural Victoria. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, it, but also I haven't actually been to Dallasford since it's gotten gentrified yet. We didn't go to Dallasford on that trip, so I haven't, right. haven't right. got a sense of how much that has changed, but right. when I went to Trentham, it had definitely has changed uh, a lot. <laughs> oh, it has changed a lot, but there was still a lot of the old timers are still there. I mean, you've got that constant friction. I don't think people realise how much friction there can be in the country. Mm. So where did you have lunch? In Trentham, yeah. Oh, we went to one of the we went to one of the pubs that was open. I forgot the name of it, but it was one on the corner, the one on the corner that everybody goes to. No, we went to the one that was less popular, that was on the main street. Street. Oh, right. Yeah, we later saw how popular the one in the corner was (laughs) afterwards, and we're like, oh, maybe we should have gone there. (laughs) (laughs) It was yeah. There's a lot of standard pub food down that area because you got you got uh, what do you got Murnion, then you got um, something in between. What's the town between Murnion and Trentham? I've forgotten. Doesn't matter, but. so how long did you stay in Trentham? Um, well, I stayed in there from when I was 13 to probably 18, 18 to sort of 19. Oh, probably 13 to 19, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I stayed in there for quite a long time, actually. And then, yeah, then we moved Then we moved to, to Ocean Grove. Uh, right, in, so let's um, go Zimmer. back to Trentham. So you spent, you did all your high school in Trentham, did yeah. you? Well, this is another funny Sort of detail. I mean, I didn't actually. I didn't actually go to any sort of traditional school. You're not homeschooled. Yeah, though. I was homeschooled actually. <laughs> that, that, that's that's a radical concept for a family of eleven kids. Your mother must have been really, really busy. So I couldn't imagine your dad homeschooling you. I mean, both both parties were sort of involved. Yeah, but why homeschool you? I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if I necessarily would, if I were to hypothetically have children. No, 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 no. but I'm asking you, why did they decide that they, were all the kids homeschooled? Or yeah, yeah, the, so everyone was homeschooled, and generally the kind of main sort of reasons was, I mean, it was sort of a combination of religious, but it, it's a bit more, com- I wouldn't sort of book it into sort of like the same reason that creationists in the United States homeschool their children. Mm -hmm. It was sort of a bit more, it's a bit more complicated than that. And I think it was more, it was actually more about the, probably the primary reason was more about sort of keeping the sort of family sort of together. And I guess that links with the religious aspect to a certain extent as well, because we were sort of raised in a, I think it's sort of strange, a bit of a strange religious environment actually, because I guess we're sort of brought up with this sort of idea that we're, you know, our family was sort of different from sort of other people and sort of homeschooling was sort of about keeping us together and away sort of from the corrupting influence of society. I mean, it wasn't as, I don't want to sort of give the picture, though, that it was like an extreme no, sort of version no, of it. It no. was, yeah, there was sort of that running undercurrent, but it's not like, yeah, it wasn't like, this wasn't, my upbringing was not adjacent to, you know, say, being raised in a, cons- like one of those conservative homeschooling families in mm. in the United States. You know, we generally sort of, we got given quite a lot of freedom, actually, as, right. um, yeah. as homeschool children. That was sort of probably how yeah. my parents managed to homeschool all of us, because, there's a sort of concept of um, sort of unschooling where it's sort of like you just let your yep. your children do whatever in terms mm-hmm. of education. And that was sort of my experience, although later on for the children that you're younger than me, they later got a more structured sort of experience with homeschooling. But that's because there was, um, at the time, there was actually, um, they started to be stronger regulations on homeschooling families um, where they had to actually send in reports and stuff. So... Yeah, around the time that started getting introduced, um, you know. Well, you know, you've, you've filled in a lot of a lot of blanks for me because that area during that period was well known 
for a lot of um, religious communities to set up house in that area. Mm. They'd have their own churches, uh, their own social networks. So did you go to any particular churches as a family during that period? Well, that's a, that's that's another strange thing about my family is I sort of mentioned that they were sort of non-denominational yes, yes. and they sort of have their own sort of way of sort of following Christianity. That is where it sort of amounted to in a sense. They, we didn't actually go to really any churches Um yeah, because in a sense, my mum had, my parents had their own sort of particular religious beliefs. There wasn't actually a church that actually, yep. yeah, that they all agreed. Well, that were they you agreed. part of a community, a wider community, or just an isolated nuclear family? Well, possibly, I would say most of my upbringing was probably that of an isolated nuclear family. I mean, we had friends. Um, probably, though, that said, to be fair, as I as I sort of mentioned, um, the homeschooling experience started to become more structured um, with the with the younger children. Uh, that's that then would apply to the to the sort of um, when we moved to Ocean Grove, for example, when I was sort of like nineteen. Um, my family sort of actually started probably opening up a bit more, and you know, mm. a lot of my younger siblings all have the experience of you know we went to more homeschooling meetups, etc. So there's not there's a lot more interaction gap with my family, like mm. in those from that from that period with um with um. But when we were living in the country, right. obviously it was a more right. isolating sort of experience. Right. So why move from Trentham to Ocean Grove? Well, I think um I mean we the rent um we basically couldn't stay, remain right. in Trentham mm. at that time. So we're just looking for sort of places to move. And so in terms of a big family of like what would have been 10 children at the time in total, uh, you know, the best place to sort of move to was, um, yeah, Trent, I mean, Ocean Grove and Geelong was sort of like the places that yeah. we were sort of looking, especially in terms of rents at the time. Um, and I think at the time there, it was a kind of increased rent. And so, but it was fine at, back then because... All the children had gotten older, and so yeah, around that time, you know, a lot of my older, like I'm the oldest, obviously, me and the the, my my sister, my brother, my two brothers were all reaching sort of you know age where they could start working, and so yeah, the rent was obviously increased, but it was counteracted by the fact that some of the family members could now work now. (laughs) Did you do you still have a belief in God? Oh no, I'm probably. Yeah, I would probably identify as an atheist. No, you're an apprentice atheist. I'm an apprentice atheist and I'm triple your age nearly. Yeah. You know what an apprentice atheist is? Not really. It's somebody who hasn't faced death. Yeah. It's only when you face death and you deny God that you become a real atheist, I reckon. I guess when it comes to that, I mean, possibly when I... You know, stop believing in God, mm. um, which was around when I was, I think, 20 to 21. Um, I mean, I sort of went to a sort of edgy sort of atheist stage. But these days, I would probably say I don't really think that much about religion Which these days right. or the religious right. questions. And, in fact, I don't even um, – I used to sort of care about, like, you know, oh, this religious – grouping is making some outrageous claim about reality. I might have to disprove that with science, but no, I really don't care anymore, like especially in terms of my my own political direction of where I've sort of developed politically since then, mm. uh, because I guess, you know, as socialists, I mean, 
we want to mobilise no, 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 the majority of people. I, I, and I think I'm, inter- I'm interested in you. Yeah, right? yeah. I'm not interested in the party. I'm interested in you at this stage. I'm yeah, happy yeah. to talk about the party later on. Yeah, yeah. Because the whole purpose of the interview is to see how people develop. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They come. Well, that that's one example yeah. of my sort of development. Yeah, but I yeah, guess we're sort of. Yeah. I might be preempting something that might come later. Yeah. yeah. Well, all, all, all I'm saying is that the whole purpose of these interviews, mm. we've you know interviewed hundreds of people now, is to show listeners that radical activists come from all. Yeah, yeah. All streams of life, all all aspects of life. So, what happens to somebody's homeschooled who hasn't done? Did you do VCE? No, I didn't do VCE. I did a stat test actually to get What's, into university. Right, and what university was there? Um, I first started studying at Deakin when uh-huh. I moved to Ocean Grove. Yep. Um, did you study anything in particular? I started off with a Bachelor of Education. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, in um, studying primary education. Did you finish that? Uh, no, I actually never finished that. But right. of course. It's a classic sort of story of a radical activist that we'll probably get into a bit later. <laughs> I'm sure we will. So you, let's put it this way. Before you went to Deacon, although you questioned your belief in God, did you have any other major questions which were troubling you as a, you know, as a young man? I mean, I would possibly say as a young person sort of growing up in the country – I generally got a lot of my, a lot of sort of ideas and the way I sort of, you know, how I sort of learned about the, you know, the wider world. I actually kind of engaged a lot. You know, I was, you know, we're raised in a family that, you know, had technology where my family runs a web development sort of business. So we all had our own sort of computers. So, mm-hmm. and in fact, actually the internet was sort of how, you know, was sort of how I engaged, how I engaged with the world as a, as a homeschooled uh, teenager. And so, yeah, but, you know, I engaged a lot with in sort of like online gaming discussion forums. Um, right. I sort of made friends um, from there and mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, a lot of those friends sort of influenced right. how I sort of looked at the world. Um, and, of course, at the time, I mean, when you're homeschooled, you would also get, um, you know, a lot of opportunities to, like, I read quite intensely, like a lot of classic literature, etc. back then. The libraries were like, when I, um, as children, the libraries was like, uh, sort of domain, like we would always borrow books, you know, DVDs, um, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. And so would, that's sort of how I would sort of engage the world. I would possibly say I didn't really have, there's not really, there wasn't really much sort of driving me um, in terms of sort of burning sort of questions of the world. Because, you know, I was raised in a, a relatively sheltered sort of environment. And, you know, for when I was sort of growing up, you would sort of have, it was just sort of experience, you'd just play I'll just play video games. I'll hang out with my family. I'll read books and sort so, of like. So, so you're telling me you were normal? Yeah, normal. Basically, <laughs> right, okay. yeah, yeah. There wasn't sort of any sort of hardships Shifts that I sort of experienced experience. in life. Right. The Common Social Change Library is an online collection of educational resources for those campaigning for social change. It collects, curates, and distributes the key lessons and resources of progressive movements around Australia and across the globe. The library includes over 500 resources covering campaign strategy, community organising, activist history, digital campaigning, diversity and inclusion, and much, much more. It's free to access the library, so check out the collection at www.commonslibrary.org. Common Social Change Library is a 3CR supporter.
Become a 3CR subscriber today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 03-9419-8377. Be a part of your community radio station. You're listening to Radical Australian Community Radio 3CR 855 on your AM dial. This program is streaming on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. So, why did you leave Deakin? Um, well, I mean, that sort of gets into... That's more, right, that's, I'm asking the question. Why did you leave Deakin? It was sort of the way to, It was a way I could get to move to Melbourne <laughs> that right. in 2016. Like your mum, your mum got married to get out of the house. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That so, was sort of how why I left Deakin. It was more, I needed to figure out a way of moving to Melbourne bit, somehow. Right. And I figured, oh, I could transfer my course to Victoria University. Right. This is how I can get into Melbourne. <laughs> right, right. And was that successful going to Victoria University? Oh, yeah, but except I didn't finish my degree. I later transferred to Melbourne University, which is where I'm studying now. <laughs> right. That's, that's a long degree. That's a 10-year degree. Yeah. Uh, you're, not, you're one of these permanent students, eh? Well, I've I've sort of had I've had I sort of had developed into that because um, right. I think yeah I did a we I did a lot of I started off obviously doing activism on Deakin University yeah. and then of course when I moved to Melbourne it was like my organisation had a wanted to set up a club at Victoria University so it seemed oh yeah natural that I would go mm. to to Vic, oh just transfer to Victoria oh, University. So let's get back to this Deakin University. Is that when you first stumbled into activism? Yes. And how, how did that happen? Well, I mean. How it sort of started, I mean, this was in 2013. Um, so, yeah, two, just to give a bit of a, a, a bit of a timeline. So, 2011, um, that is sort of where I started questioning my views in God and questioning my views in sort of religion. And I would sort of say that was sort of a foundational sort of moment in life because that's sort of where – because obviously I was raised in this sort of close-knit sort of family and, you know – to me, my future just seemed to be, oh, well, I'll just spend my life with this, you know, with this family, whatever. But, of course, when I obviously started grappling with the existential questions around God, it started making me think about, oh, there's a whole wider world out there. There has to be something for me to do in my life, etc. Um, so that obviously that was in 2011. So that's where that's obviously where I started going in a bit into sort of my journey. Um, and I started obviously I started thinking a bit. I started following politics a bit more. Um, but probably I would say probably a lot of my politics probably came from a lot of my politics came from the sort of space online spaces that I was hanging out at the time. A lot of these online spaces I hanged out on were you know overwhelmingly sort of centre left. In their political kind of orientation, how come, how come you didn't become a, you know, right wing libertarian radical? I mean, there's everything on the net. Why did you choose this centre left type of journey? Oh uh, yeah. Well, I mean, back in that sort of centre left sort of community, yes. I mean, we would make fun of right wing libertarians. So right wing libertarians were seen as the people that you don't want to be. Right. Um, so that was yeah. That, so obviously that was. So sort why, of, why did you stumble into that particular chat room or that particular? situation there must have been something drawing you to it i mean probably the only thing that was sort of drawing me into this online community was um you know i played video games Mm. and so i tended to hang out with other sort of like-minded people who played video games um it possibly how i sort of someone was there was sort of one individual um who i sort of yeah i'm still friends with today he's currently living in japan i sometimes message him from time to time Mm -hmm. um he you know he actually probably he had 
very overwhelmingly sort of centre-left sort of liberal politics. And so he sort of is the one that kind of influenced me in the sort of direction because I would say that most of the earlier sort of online communities I hanged out with were you know, pretty apolitical. Yeah. Um, some of them are also possibly a bit problematic sort of looking yeah. back on it. Yeah. But, of course, I sort of got led into a particular sort of gaming sort of discussion forum at the time, which sort of main which sort of remained as my sort of main sort of online community. And that sort of happened in 2009, 2008 to 2009. And so overwhelmingly from there, mm. I was already being influenced in a very sort of liberal-centred so, so, direction. So, so what, when was this virtual world you're in, this centre-left virtual world, married to the real world? What, were there any things that made you think, I need to get off the net, I need to meet other people, I need to go to meetings, I need to do things. Yeah, yeah. So um, I guess I'll get now that I'll get into I'll start getting into this kind of story of how I became political. I mean, at that time actually one of the gaming sort of discussion the game, main gaming discussion forum was hanging was actually having regular they were actually having online sort of meetups um, at the time where that we sort of met with the, the people who sort of posted it. And I was sort of like a bit of a prominent sort of person in these sort of communities. Um, and so, yeah, I came along and attended one sort of meetup in, in sort of Melbourne. Um, that was sort of like where I sort of started to get involved and involved in sort of the wider sort of world from there. Um, that sort of happened around, I think, 2011. Um, and then I guess where I sort of started to become politically interested in, because, um, okay, I've already sort of explained, I have a, already a, have, yeah, I have a, a political consciousness that is fairly centre-left. So, in a sense, the first party I voted for was the Greens when I was able to vote. Um, So, I already had sort of that sort of consciousness about those sort of issues. But I guess what got me out onto the streets for the first time and um, and engaged with sort of radicalism was when Kevin Rudd introduced the no PNG solution in 2013. And so, actually, at the time, um, even though my parents don't necessarily have the best position on this anymore my family was actually um was pretty angry about the about this whole the whole png solution announced by ken rudd and they actually did start could you explain to people what the png solution was a lot of people would have forgotten oh yeah so basically the png solution at the time um when kevin rudd was um became leader again um kevin rudd sort of when he was Prime Minister early on, before he got knifed by Julie Gillard, sort of announced that he would never turn to the right on um, on refugee policy. Then, obviously, Julia Rudd introduced um, introduced Nauru, and then um, then Kevin Rudd announced that um, all refugee in 2013 as part of his election policy because they didn't want to be attacked by the Liberals. Um, that they would basically introduce. Uh, they would basically process refugees on PNG and basically that was the sort of um, if I'm getting my history correctly yeah. it was the opening that's up right. of Manus yeah. Island and, and so on those, that's right look so going back to Deakin is that where you came into at the university came into contact with radical activists or well, outside the university I mean I'll get well, not necessarily, but mm. it was it sort of reinforced it. Um, right. So basically, my so what digging what was what basically apolitical was it an apolitical campus at that? Yeah, stage? yeah. But I'll I'll get into well, I can get into where exactly mm. like how I came in contact with radical yep. politics. So I was going to refugee rights rallies um, in in response to the PNG solution, um, and then my family started getting active in all the sort of 
um, refugee activist group. So they, right. they came, they became involved a bit in Refugee Action Collective for a bit. Mm. But then um, I sort of noticed that um, I, I asked my, my parents uh, on one day, my parents were like going to some event and I was like, I said to them, oh, so what event are you going to? And it's like, we're going to some local refugee uh, lunch in um, in Geelong, organised by the local refugee activist group, and then what we what we um, and then I just said, oh yeah, I want to come. Um, and so when I came along to that, I found out that the event was organised by a combined refugee action group, which was actually a group that was um, you know set up um, that was helped set up by Socialist Alliance in Geelong at the time. And so yeah, that's I went along to that event um, and I met some of the Socialist Alliance activists there, um, which. And they gave me a leaflet for their election campaign. And I was like, oh, yeah, I agree with all these policies. Um, I'll sign up and help out for the campaign. Um, and, yeah, that's sort of... And, and then I had an initial interaction with one of their members who actually went... Who I later found out, you know, went to Deakin University. Uh, he was a young guy, sort of about my age. And, yeah, that's sort of... That sort of my, was my first contact with Socialist mm. Alliance. It's it's not where I sort of immediately joined, right. but um, but then I found out they they then invited me to oh yeah we're going to this refugee rally at this time. Do you want to take the train with us? And it's like yeah I'll, I'll go ahead. Um, and then I later found out they did stalls every Monday at Deakin University. I was like oh yeah that sounds like something. And then they invited me to their um, branch meeting. Um, and then I then I sort of promised I'd sign up there but I never got around to signing up but I, I was sort of like right. I sort of came I said they just kept inviting me to things and I just kept going because I was it sort of felt like at the time it was the right thing to do it yeah. was like oh I found because probably when I started first started coming to university yeah. I wanted actually yeah. something to do like right. something that in, wanted me to engage with the broader world um, so I started going to sort of different charity clubs I volunteered for a, like a, mm. a soup kitchen in um at a church and yeah it started off with those things because i was sort of like looking looking yeah looking for things to do right so you said you went to victoria university as an possible organizer what did you mean by that somebody said to you or that you know that we need to set up a branch at victoria university um well basically socialist alliance in melbourne was um they were doing a bit of a they were trying to build a campus club on Victorian University so I was like I found out that they were trying to set up something there and I was like okay well I guess Mm. I'll transfer to Victorian University and I can help out with that effort and how did that go I mean we we did it we I think we we hosted quite a number of interesting events from two I think we tried from 2016 to 2017 um you know we had some we did stalls and you know we held some interesting events um we even knew we even got some we even got a club officially registered and we got some money for that which Meant that we could get a free venue hire right. <laughs> uh, for a, for yeah. a conference that we organised in 2017. So yeah. yeah, that's sort of what we sort of ended up doing there. But I mean, it didn't really last that long. And then by the time it got to 2018, I was like, oh, maybe I'll transfer to Mel- um, I'll transfer to Melbourne University. Um, except I think I transferred to Melbourne University at 2019 actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but 2018 was where I was sort of like considering transfer. I think I actually deferred most of 2018, so I didn't necessarily study that much in 2018. So what was like? What happened at Melbourne University? Um, I mean, Melbourne. The reason why I actually transferred to Melbourne University was it wasn't just political. I mean, we sort of had a few members who were um, who were Melbourne University students, so we thought, oh yeah, we can try and build a bit of a campus presence here. But what um, what I sort of the main sort of reason for transferring to Melbourne University was more sort of personal. It was mm-hmm. more that I was sort of like because I was studying teaching at the time. 
I sort of didn't have the best experience doing my placements in 2015. And that sort of made me reconsider whether I wanted to become a school teacher. Um, and so I sort of felt, okay, so I've got some credit. I can get some credit from my previous study um, if I transfer to Melbourne Uni. Uh, maybe I'll just go do my do go to Melbourne University and just finish off an English and history okay, degree, which fine. is what I'm doing now. And then right. when I finish that, I can I can figure out what I'm going to do next. Now I'm going to ask you a very embarrassing question, Jacob. How have you supported yourself during all these years? I mean, I've worked as a I worked I've been working as a childcare worker, right? Um, yeah, I've been mainly yeah I've been working as a childcare worker to sort of support myself over this, right? And then I and then I think around. 2008, probably around 2018 to 2019. Um, I mean, I started getting get, getting a more formal role with Socialist Alliance, where you know they would sort of pay me to be an organizer, but I would also do it in while while working in childcare yes, because you know, yes. activists don't really organizations don't ha- have enough money to pay full salaries no, or anything. Haven't. No, no, they haven't. That's right. So, uh, are you still with Socialist Alliance? Yeah. So I'm right. currently. I'm currently the national co-convener of the organisation, actually. The national co-convener. Yeah. All right. And um, just explain to us what Socialist Alliance thinks socialism is. I mean, we generally think socialism is when workers take power, um, get rid of the capitalist class, and then we democratically run society ourselves. Yeah. Who's the capitalist class? I mean... Generally, the the rich, the powerful, the Jeff Bezos, the ones who own the means of mm. production. Right. And what do you mean by uh, – are you talking about a centralised authority or are you talking about a decentralised authority when the workers run industry or society? Yeah. I mean, I, as socialists, obviously we would argue that you need you need a period, I guess, of centralised sort of authority um, in order to sort of take over, mm-hmm. basically um, smash the kind of capitalist state. Um, you know, that's the classic sort of ideas of Lenin and so on. So that's generally would be our sort of vision. But obviously, I mean, our vision is obviously the ideal sort of form of socialism is that it becomes more decentralised, that you have no state. But we don't think that you can... You need you actually need to challenge state power first before you can. Well, yeah. So you don't, you think there's a transitional stage then? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a classic. Um, in, it's yeah, a classic. Yeah, there's no, there's no difference between say you and a Leninist position in the 1920s. Yeah, I would argue that. Yeah, yeah definitely there's no <laughs> difference. So you think there's a transitional state, and then the state will wither yep. away at some stage. All right. Yeah, I'm not here to debate the issue. All right, I may disagree with you. I may disagree with you. It doesn't really matter. What I'm interested in is what. So as the national co-convener, what does that mean? What what responsibilities do you have in the party? I mean, I'm part of I'm a national co-convener elected alongside two others mm-hmm. and essentially, I mean, yeah, essentially it's equivalent to a national sort of secretary sort of role, mm-hmm. but it's three people instead of just one. Um, so obviously our responsibility is we're responsible for making the sort of national kind of decisions, imp- like the fa- being the face of the organisation, uh, implementing what the national executive sort of um, directs us to do or like we're the sort of – we're responsible to doing the week-to-week work in terms of organising the entire national organisation. So, so you're not on the national executive? No, we're, we are on the national executive. The national crewman is, is – is part of the national executive. Is part of the national executive. Yeah. And, and do you have branches in every state? Yeah, we would. I mean, we would have probably our most active branches would be Melbourne, Sydney, Geelong, and 
um, Perth. So, and then we sort of have some smallish sort of branches in Brisbane, Cairns, and uh, Newcastle. Right. Yeah. So we would have a branch in almost well, not every state. We have one in Canberra. We just don't have it. We don't have a branch in say Northern Territory. Right. And we sort of have almost a nucleus of a branch in Hobart. Right. And, and what are the major issues that Socialist Alliance is tackling, apart from obviously the, the big issue of you know abolishing capitalism? But what are the major day-to-day issues you're, you're involved in your organisation and you're involved in? Yeah, well, I guess the major sort of project that obviously for us is maintaining Green Left. So you know we've maintained Green Left for as long as I've been alive because I mean first I mean our birthdays are pretty close. Um, mm. Green Left the f- first issue came on February 18th, 1991, and I was born on February 15th, 1991. Mm. So yeah, Green Left is sort of the main sort of project that we sort of um, – that very much guides a lot of our day-to-day work. You know, we're, fu- we're always fundraising paper. We're trying to produce articles for the paper. We're always trying to get it out sort of every week. Um, and then obviously each different city is involved in different sort of campaigns and different um, activities. So in Melbourne right now, we would be – you know, would have a level of enrolment in the refugee rights campaign, would have a level of enrolment in the climate campaign. But, yeah, we also have – also would have involvement we're also running a state election campaign as well so those are sort of that's sort of my melbourne priorities right now but then yeah the different cities would have different sort of range. but overall the overarching sort of national project that unites us all is mm-hmm. green left and then doing all the other things right. that you have to do to maintain a national organization right and, and do you have national congresses yeah we're currently having an uh, we're having our first sort of well, I mean, we're having national conferences, mm. but just over Zoom. Yep. We're going to be having our first one where everyone gets to come together for the first time in years in, in January, actually. Right. Um, here, here in Melbourne or Sydney? In or? Geelong. In Geelong, right. You got a venue? Yeah, yeah, Geelong Trades Hall. Oh, right. Do you have, do you have actually have um, access for observers or is it just basically for party members? I mean, we, we, generally, we generally do invite, you know, we invite supporters of ours if they want to come along. I mean the end of the day, it's probably like not the most exciting thing for an observer to attend. Well, look, a National just... Congress is exceptionally exciting because it determines what you're going to do. Maybe yeah, 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 it does. Could be, could be for years. But they are... Um they generally are open to observers, but they generally have. They generally are sort of invited observers, although right. that said, if someone emailed us and said, I would really like to attend your National Conference, I want to find out what you, how you organise and... What you do, I mean, mm-hmm. we generally have no problem with that. So, right. yeah. And and you actually have specific literature regarding uh, the bigger question of uh, transforming society or is it or you mainly issue-orientated? I mean, we, we have a, a, a program towards mm. the Socialist Australia is our, sort of fa- is our sort of document that sort of outlines, you know, how we think socialism would develop into you know, Australia. It outlines a lot of our sort of key ideas about how we understand capitalism, a lot of the kind of basic things like, you know, the mm. nature of oppression under yep. capitalism, how yep. capitalism oppresses LGBTI people, how capitalism oppresses refugees. Yeah, we have a sort of document on our website that sort of outlines mm-hmm. all our sort of perspectives on that, and that's sort of that's sort of a, a unifying document. It's like it's a classic programmatic document that any right. sort of right. socialist organisation would have. And, and are you able to change that format at national congress? Or do you have a mechanism by which you, you you could change your platform? Yeah, yeah. The national conferences are generally that body. So you know, right. if someone came up and if a group of members wanted to amend the our national sort of document, you know, they would yeah, they'll generally 
have the right as long as the all the delegates vote for it. <laughs> right. So it, it, it's a delegate conference then. Yeah, it's a delegated conference. Yeah. Right. Okay. That's interesting. So if people are interested in Socialist Alliance. What websites would you recommend? I mean, I would go to www.socialist-alliance.org.au. So that's sort of where um, you go. And then I would also recommend that people look at our, you know, the media publication that we um, that we help maintain, which is Green Left. Um, so you can also go on greenleft.org.au. Right. And you've got a program and here. And radio show. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We also have a free CR program, uh, yeah. affiliate, affiliated program. They're affiliates. Yeah. What, Socialist Alliance or Green Left? Green Left is Green Left, yeah. yeah. yeah it's, and uh, how long have you had that program for? I mean, we've actually had the... I mean, the program's been operating since 2015. There was actually an earlier version way before my time, way before I got politically active in the 90s. There might be archives that exist of that somewhere. Um, but, yeah, our, pro, our current incarnation of the program's been happening since 2015. What time is it? 7am again? Yeah, it's at 7am on a Friday. Till when? Uh, till 8.30. Till 8.30. I think I... Gate crashed you a few weeks ago, didn't I? Um, no, not sure. No, no. I, I was looking for a document. When, oh yeah, well, yeah, yeah. When Green Left Weekly was on. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think that's that, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah I must, came, a, must apologise. I was looking for a, a Supreme Court affidavit which somebody had given me to look at, and I thought I've lost it. Yeah, I didn't think you disrupted anything. I think we'll, we'll no, no, no. The, the light was off when I came in, but I thought, oh god, I left it in here somewhere. I think um, I just want to say from the outside, I think the show's done a great job over the years in. In really bringing other people um, along, you know, the door's always been open, I've found, to different groups talking about whether that be homelessness or public housing or other kinds of things. I think you've done a really good job in being inclusive. Mm. Well, it's, yeah, it's generally sort of been the kind of approach of Green Left um, because I guess, you know, traditional sort of socialist parties, you know, when they have a publication, they generally have a publication that just reflects this is what the party thinks, this is the party line. Whereas Green Left, I mean, it is, in a sense, I don't want to misrepresent, it is actually, in a sense, a party newspaper for social science. It is how we build our organisation, etc. But the overall sort of focus has always been about, you know, how how can we use this to reach out to people who are organising in the forefront against, you know, against capitalism or against any or on any sort of concrete sort of issue. We generally, Green Left has tried to be a platform for any sort of grassroots movement, and I guess... With Green Left Radio, we've also tried to continue that mm. legacy as well. <laughs> and the archiving, you know, the amount of material that you would have collected over the years is amazing. With your online um, features and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, sometimes I sometimes like when I like to go back into the history, I sometimes search up random things in Green Left to find, oh, did we actually report on that back in the day? Or if I'm looking for some particular bit of history um, in activism, maybe from the 19th, if we're looking at history of activism from the 1990s and 1991 to now, you know, Green Left would, is quite a good resource in terms mm. of having some of that material. It is. How hopeful are you about change? I mean, I think I, I mean, I'm generally quite hopeful. I mean, I think... Because as long as capitalism exists, there's always going to be resistance to it. Um, and I think, you know, we always have to be at the forefront of supporting that resistance and, you know, trying to push that resistance to actually, mm. you know, tackle the actual system itself. Would you describe Socialist Alliance as a vanguard party or more of, or more of a popular front party? I mean... I wouldn't... I wouldn't sort of... I would sort of to go neither, um, really. I mean, I... In a sense, we are 
were probably closer to being a vanguard party than a popular front party. I mean, Socialist Alliance, you know, even though it has a broader sort of program than, say, some other socialist organisations, you know, the general focus has always been, you know, if you join the party, you have to be involved in activism, you have to implement the the decisions that we make collectively. But, of course, yeah, we don't... um, uh, yeah, so it's generally it probably would be closer to a vanguard party, but we don't necessarily conceptualise right. the party itself like that. But mm. we certainly wouldn't conceptualise the popular front party either. So. What's the difference between uh, those here, two? Oh, look, we haven't got time to discuss Briefly. it. Briefly. Well, a vanguard party is a, part, a, a leader it, it believes that, it's, that it, it, it is actually the leader of the revolution. A popular front is more a coalition of different parties. Both of them have got weaknesses, but I'm not here to d- discuss yeah. that. I guess, I mean, to just mm. add one comment, I mean, Socialist Alliance, I guess, given that we're just a, we're still a small, or, we're right. a yeah. relatively small organisation, I think it is a bit ridiculous to sort of, you can't claim that your small organisation is That's the vanguard right. of the working That's class. Right. That's right. I mean, we, our ambition is that we hope to expire to be hopefully part of a mass revolutionary sort of organisation in the future mm. Mm. that hasn't been formed yet, but mm. we hope that we can contribute to the construction of such a party, right. which in a sense could be described as a vanguard party, but we're not there yet. Not there yet. So what's, what's the future for you personally? I mean, the general kind of future for me, I mean, is, you know, oh, I think I want to continue, I want to, continue to be involved in the struggle um, against injustice Um that's generally what what I always do. I want to contribute into any sort of way I can. I don't necessarily want to be because currently my kind of life right now is I'm currently like a full time activist, so to speak. I'm a full time organizer for the organization, um, and I have been for you know for quite a while. And it's you know I really mm. value all the experiences that have come from that. But that's sort of like not something I'm going to want to do forever. I'm going to have to. You have to, because I think it's important for any sort of socialist activist that we ground ourselves in the lived reality of. You know, the working class, I mean, I obviously have that experience because I do have to work childcare. I, 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 I work as a childcare worker. Um, I've obviously had that experience, but obviously I want to, I probably want to go, maybe I might want to study, to. Bec- I might want to become a school teacher in the future. I'm still sort of considering it. I might want to get a f- full-time work somewhere, but I guess my commitment is always going to be, you know, to the struggle for a better world. I always want to contribute it to what a way I can. But- right, right. And there's anybody listening to the program who's kind of ambivalent about whether they should take the activist path or not. What advice do you have for them? I mean, I think probably the most... I think I think it's... I mean, my advice is, I mean, I think, yeah, if you... It's to get involved. I mean, go attend meetings, um, you know, go to a protest, etc. There's always lots of work that actually needs to be done in the activist scene, especially in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, yeah, I think the advice is just to get involved, you know, figure out... Where you where um, learn from from the activists that come and pass. I think probably the most important advice I would actually give is I actually think it's probably important not to come in with the expectation that you know better than the activists. I always think there's an important sort of sense that you have to have, you know, a sense of respect for what has come before and what has been done before. Um, you know, sometimes I encounter, you know, people who are completely new to actors and that seem to think that, well, you know, I have all these ideas that you haven't implemented before, but the actual reality is activists, all activists from all political orientations, from whether they're anarchists or socialists, you know, we, we're all working hard. We've all been trying all sorts of different things over the years. So that's probably probably one main bit of rice for someone who might not be involved in activism already. So listen before you open your mouth. Yeah, that's right. it, that's so to speak. <laughs>
Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Jacob. Thanks, hopefully, Jacob. Hopefully we'll be able to um, get more listeners to listen to uh, Green Left Weekly here at 3CR and read the newspaper and possibly mm. contribute. And uh, if you're interested in Socialist Alliance, uh, what do people need to... Uh, uh, is there a phone number and a website? Um, yeah, as I mentioned before, you can go to www.socialist-alliance.org. Dot you and you can, yeah, you can find out all the information, or you can just simply search Socialist Lines in Google. I don't think there's any other parties in the world that are called Socialist Lines. So if you search Socialist Lines in Google, you can get directly linked to our website. Right. And is there any, any for non computer literate, any phone numbers or addresses or anything? Um, I mean, to be honest, probably the best number because I don't remember our landline off the top of my head, yeah. is you can always just call me because my number, I'm pretty sure, appears on the website. Right, so that's fine. And, and and is there an office in Melbourne? Um, the office is Level 5, 407 Swanson Street in the city. Right. Thank you very much, Jacob. Wish you all the best for the future. Yeah. Uh, personally and politically. Yeah, thank, thank you very you much for, for thank coming. Thank you for program. I love you with all my mind. Trust you every night and day I shall protect you with all my might I will fight away your enemies I am your love been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.